Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rada Megberto Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. Today we have a great show for you. How are you doing? Paul Fleming checking in from ATL Atlanta. Welcome aboard, my brother, Nanette Bird-Smith. Hi, y'all. Hi, y'all, Nanette. How are you doing? Julie Van Astel, good afternoon, she says. Good afternoon to you all. AVQ, my brother, Michael Rutten, historic change. Arab political parties are now legitimate partners in Israel politics and government. Are things changing in Israel? Egberto, I'd like your thoughts on this. The next government is not going to be a typical one from, uh, for the citizens of the state of Israel and especially for members of the Palestinian Arab minority who are 20% of Israel's population. This is the first time the Zionist political parties forming the government or including an Arab party. It is ironic that the prime minister of this uh, government would be Bennett because, you know, Bennett is one of the, he doesn't believe in a two-state solution. What he believes in, given all, I think, uh, making things supposedly better for Arabs in, in uh, Israel. Uh, let's see what else you're saying. Uh, Yamina, whose ideologies and interests contradict the Arab party's interests which I suppose Arab participation in the coalition government, his national religious political movement, which represents many Jewish settlers, signed the coalition agreement with Ram, the Islamic Arab Party. In the 73-year history of Israel, it was an unwritten rule that any government coalition would be formed only by the Jewish Zionist parties. There was only one exception when the late Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin relied on the support of Arab Party in the uh, wake of the Oslo Accords. Let me tell you what I think. And I'm no, I'm no Israeli Arab scholar, but I have a thing here. If you, if I don't, I, I don't understand how a country can say we are a, <clears throat> a Jewish state, and have people that are not Jewish have the same rights <clears throat> as Jewish people. I don't. Maybe I need to understand or learn something. I mean, that is like America saying we are a Christian country. And all the principles we follow are Christian principles. And thus, if we take a look at uh, uh, Muslims and, uh, and all other religions, they need not apply. I don't understand that. That said, if that is the country you want, it seems to me then that you have to support some sort of a multi-state solution, where those people who do not abide by that tenet of uh, religion discrimination, if you will, have a place where they have full rights. But I don't think that anybody other than a Jewish person can have full rights in Israel. And I don't think that the Arabs being a part of the coalition make, changes that. Because as far as Israelis are concerned... Israel is a Jewish state. So if you want all rights in Israel, you must be Jewish. I had a conversation with a good friend, another radio show host, and we were trying to understand and we were trying to figure out if, if it's ever okay for a country to have legalized discrimination. And also, can a democracy really be a theocracy, if you will. And we, we you know, uh, when, whenever you talk Israeli issues, it's always a thing to get in trouble because uh, everything that you say, people want to put in an anti-Semitic context or an anti, 
a Muslim context, well, you guys know who I am. I have no context. I am a pro-human context only. I love Israelis just as much as I love Palestinians, just as much as I like everybody else. Or I should say love is a better word. So those are my thoughts. I don't think you can have any sort. I don't think you can have any sort of, uh, you know, so. Anyhow. 50 years ago, Daniel Ellsberg, Pentagon Papers helped end the Vietnam War. If those Pentagon Papers were released today, the whistleblower would have been sentenced to life for espionage. Just a reminder of how our nation's morality is being tested. Another one from Michael Rudnan. Experts sound the alarm that minority rule is throwing democracy out of whack. Something has to give. Yes, minority rule in the United States is horrendous. Republicans have no idea which garners supermajority polling support. All they have is obstructionist culture or nonsense. They keep that up, they'll have... Is a, a shrinking control on the way out the door. Right now, the Senate is split evenly half, but the 50 uh, Democratic senators represent 41.5 million more people than the 50 uh, Republican senators. Actually, I think it's worse than that. And the reason it's worse than that is if we just calculate the populations that vote Democratic versus a population that votes Republican in those states, you'll see a bigger difference. Okay, people uh, continue, 7% of Americans will represent by 30 senators and 30% by 70 senators. That has lots of implications, like for the Senate filibuster, where a party that represents a shrinking minority of voters can block almost every legislation, but it's deeper, right? If 70% is represented by, 70 senators represent 30% of the population, and those senators also have the right of a filibuster, it's super, super minority support. Okay, I, I, you get where that's going. I'll, I'll finish that. The other one. Wall Street's $3 billion bargain basement purchase of the U.S. political process. Uh, the For the People Act would loosen the financial industrial uh, grip over a political system. Bribing politicians has a high return on investment. No, a ridiculously high return on investment. If they spend $3 billion but make trillions of dollars through financial actions, that says it all. I'm not going to read the rest. i got a lot to talk about. Climate tipping points could push us past the point of no return. We've discussed that before. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that if we have more time later on. The Colonial Pipeline uh, was fine, but its owner shut it down to make sure they'd get paid, they'd get paid correctly. Egberto, remember last week when you asked me about this? Only the billing for the pipeline was hacked, not the production. So the corporation running the pipeline... Decided it was better not to give away the... I remember when you said that, uh, Senor Rodnan. I remember well. So you found the answer, and thank you for finding the answer. All right, Julie Van Asdel, it was a pleasant surprise to see you on the Ben Dixon show this morning. Yeah, I was on Ben Dixon this morning. I'll play that tomorrow. Did you happen to see the first section with Georgia Fort? I saw parts of Georgia Fort. I'd really love to see her. <clears throat> Let me tell you, I tried to get Georgia Fort. She replied to me once. And, you know, asked me a couple questions. I answered her, and I hadn't heard back from her. So my, my hunch is that maybe she doesn't want to be on this show. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we are a little bit too radical. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? If she responds, I, I would love to have her on because I think she's a very smart activist um, reporter there in Minnesota. Did you happen to see the first section with Georgia Ford? I'd really love to see her. I'd like to try. 
If you if you want to see her here, tell her that I contact you. You as a person who likes her and listens to her, tell her that um, I contacted her. She returned my reply, and I will love to have her on this show. I would love to have her. I think she's a great asset to this to the independent news media. All right, Rodnen, theocracy is antithetical to democracy as it will exclude any persons who aren't members of the state's religion. And that's my point. And that is exactly my point. I haven't seen Bridge MCP in, I guess, two days. We got to contact Bridge and make sure she's okay, guys. Our PDR posse leader. Anyhow, uh, El Señor Biden. Well, let me play this on, on, on Biden because I think Biden answered a question pretty slickly. And I kind of liked it. Check this out. You know, President Biden has been taking a lot of flack recently. I mean, the Justice Department, they're not working as fast to handle the voting uh, suppression that we've seen. They've not handled uh, taking care of past ills affected by Donald Trump, etc., etc., etc. So today at the G7, Biden was sort of confronted with yet something of that nature. Hey, why aren't you doing this? Actually, after he gave his answer in the form that he gave his answer, I said, okay, you're right. Let's see. Check this out. He shut the reporter down real cold. This works for a while, but let's, let's take a let's listen to this. You have often said uh, repeatedly that America is back. Yes. Uh, at the same time, you've kept in place some Trump-era steel and aluminum sanctions. And I wanted to ask you... When you're having these conversations with European allies who are very concerned about these sanctions, how do you justify that? And what are your plans? 120 days. Give me a break. Need time. And you know what? Believe it or not, that is a very good answer. Very good answer. The thing about it is it's 120 days. Give me a break. I need time. Okay, Biden has given us very goodwill with the stimulus package, with the uh, COVID relief package. We expect a lot more, and I think he's actually right. Donald Trump took some time to destroy this country. It's going to take some time to restore this country. But let's make sure to keep the pressure on to ensure that in restoration, we're not compromising the middle class and the poor. All right. Hey, folks. New attire. Well, I don't know. I was on Ben Dixon today with, you know, I always have to wear my T-shirt, you know, the one that has our propaganda on it. But I, I put a coat over it, and it seemed to have been liked. So my question to you, that are, you guys that are seeing me every day, should I make it the coat look, or do I keep it just the casual T-shirt look? Voting opens right this minute. It's time for you to vote. It's time for you to vote. Let's see what you guys have to say. And I'll do whatever the people would say today. All right, here we go. Um, I want to play this piece because of... Oh, let me just bring up the show what it's going to be about first. Title of the show. Title of the show. Oh, our first vote is keep the jacket. Don Johnson, I love Don Johnson. You remember those days in Miami? You know, and the thing about it is I'm a Miami lover too. I like going to Miami to have my black beans and rice and platanitos y, y también mi chicharrón y todo eso. I love Miami. But anyhow, um, today's show is Black Valedictorian Forced to Share Title with White Student. 
Tim Danahy solves taxes. So let's go ahead and play the first one for yeah, I know it's 144 days, but come on, get a minute break. All right, check this out. Let's go with this. This one hits close to home. I'm going to tell you a story after I play the video, but the, the, the bottom line is two black young ladies, one valedictorian and salutatorian, they took very hard courses in and you know those courses are weighted higher because again, they're harder courses. My daughter was an AP and all these harder courses garnered her higher GPA scores because they were more commensurate with college courses. Well, anyhow, these two women, one valedictorian and salutatorian. Oh, in this southern town, we couldn't have that. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. I told you about the story in the New York Times. Two one school honors, then came the calls for a recount. Those two students and new high school graduates are now here with me. Layla Temple was named salutatorian at West Point High School in Mississippi. Ikaria Washington was named valedictorian. Um, Ikaria, when I, when I wa read this article, it said that in the meeting that your mom was called to at the school to discuss what had happened, you were, you were in there and you were holding back tears. Uh, and then when you came out, you couldn't hold them back anymore. W what happened in that meeting? I just was hurt because yeah. I feel like like they got something that they did not earn what? after I worked hard for. When did you learn about? Is that the meeting where you learned about what had happened? When did you first realize that you were not the only valedictorian? I was called to the school to bring one of my um, my extra souls back, but he didn't tell me why. I was bringing it back. Uh, Layla, you uh, actually said in your speech, when you delivered your, your speech, you called yourself the real uh, salutatorian. Did you get any pushback on that? No, sir. What do you think this is about? Do you think uh, the, the, uh, one of the other students, the co-valedictorian, said this has nothing to do with race, it's got to do with math? What's your response to that? I believe it do have to do with race because why would you even assume that your GPA was higher when they first announced it. Kiria, what do you want to happen here? You, uh, the, the school said they'd made a mistake. Uh, they then chose two other people to join you uh, and, and share the awards. Obviously, that's not a practical idea moving forward. What, what do you want to see happen? I just feel like it shouldn't be shared because they did not earn it. I should have it to myself. What do you, what has the school said about that? Because they said they've made a mistake. Uh, do you think that the school should be using weighted GPAs where the two of you, you and, uh, and, uh, and Layla, get the award because you took harder classes, advanced standing classes, double credits, things like that? Do you think that's the system that the school should use? Yes, because they're basically saying the harder classes don't matter. Layla, what is the uh, what has the school done about this since then? As you go forward, is it now just a fact that you are the co-salutatorian? Uh, I think so, but on my transcript, they keep putting number three, so I don't know if that will interfere with any of my salutatorian scholarships. I think that's about it. And Icaria, what are you uh, what are you planning to do next about this? Is there anything left for you and your family to be able to do? Uh, we're still fine for it. Have you had a have you had a conversation with your with the person who was named your co-valedictorian? No, sir. Would you like to? Yeah, I would. Just to know like why they feel like it should be earned. Like they should have it. Knowing they didn't earn it. What about you, uh, Layla? Would you would you wanna have that conversation? No, sir. You don't wanna you don't wanna talk to them about it? No, sir. I just feel like you're gonna be filled with excuses of why 
it's not racist and why they assume that was one or two from the beginning. Thank you both for talking to us about this remarkable story. Uh, Layla Temple is the West Point High School co-salutatorian now, although she does refer to herself as the real salutatorian. Uh, Ikaria Washington is the West Point High School uh, co-valedictorian. Both of these two students were named the valedictorian and uh, salutatorian before the school reconsidered uh, how they were measuring those two. You know, what is shameful it's like you're, you're fighting a moving target. You're asked, if you, want, if you want to perform and win, do it this way. And you do it, and you win. But you can't really win, right? So you do it another way. They change the goalpost on you. Here's, a, here's that issue. That issue was just how to calculate who the top students were. Ikeria and Layla won based on a calculation of quality points average or QPA, a system of calculating grades that gave extra weight to an advanced placement and dual credit courses, which makes sense. But it turned out Dominic and Emma, the two white students, were the top two finishers based on unweighted grade point average. You know what I remember in school people saying? I am going to take the easy courses so that my GPA would be high, right? So you take the easy courses so that your GPA could be high while the other person takes these very difficult courses and their GPA suffers just a tad points, few points later. So as it turns out, it, it would have been the people who were undeserving got one and two in GPA grades and very little bit underneath that were uh, Layla and uh, Erica, uh, um, Ikeria, and it is sad because they are better students, period. They took tougher courses, period. Based on the weighted average, which is what it's supposed to be, they won. And they moved the goalpost on them. You know, um, and if you think this, look, personally now, this is personal to me in that I've lived this in my life. I remember back in Panama, I went to the Latin American schools first because, of course, I'm Panamanian. But then... All the people on the canal zones, they wanted to go to the same school. So the last two years of school, uh, they placed us 11th grade and 12th grade. They placed us in the American schools. And it was interesting, right? Because I played the tuba in the band. And when we played the tuba, I was always chair number one. But every time we had a concert, when there was going to be a printed manual, I would get a challenge from my second and the challenge meant you go and each of you play a particular piece and then the director picks who won that challenge and every single time right before the concert I would get that challenge and for sure I would lose that challenge and his name would be number one and my name would be number two on the uh, as far as the seedings of the tuba, that tells you you know who are, who's a better tuba player. And of course, it's too late for me to challenge back. I'll challenge again, and I would always get back the first seat because the guy who followed me was so was not a good player at all for the tuba. So I mean, uh, you know, it's it's something that I I lived and I feel it, and I thought that by now this should be gone. I could tell stories and stories from the from from business loans to positions at NASA, to positions at oil companies, the tribulation that one goes through 
where the, the, the post, the, they keep moving the post on you, where there's always an excuse, where in as much as you have qualified, you have met the requirements to win, to get a position, to get a loan, to get all these different things. You know you've got it. But the goalpost was moved because you just can't. We just don't want you to have it. I understand the pain that these young ladies are going through. And to think that 20 or 30 years some of what I've gone through as a black, as a Latino, as a Caribbean person, that she, these two young ladies, are still going through this in some high school. They did the work. How is somebody to keep, keep their, their, their morale up? How, how do you expect all these folks that you tell, do this and it's going to be okay? Prove yourself. Be meritorious. You know, even in my book, I point some of this out, How to Make America Utopia. We really have to get to the position where meritocracy means something, where honor means something. What these young ladies went through, they are the valedictorian and the salutatorian. I was happy to see her say, do you want to meet these students? Hell no. Why? They, they attempted to take something that I earned. They attempted to steal something from me. They couldn't win it outright, so they stole it. And that is what, we, that is what we've done so many times. We cannot get, uh, we cannot convince Colombia to allow us to build a canal. We create a, a, a war within the province of Panama and allow those people, put a big battleship in the, in the Gulf of Colón and create, allow them to create their own country, Panama, and then tell Panama, now sign this treaty in perpetuity so that we can build a canal. It is, this is something that goes on over and over and over again. Folks, if you ask the question many times, why don't they like us? And by us, I'm not talking about the actual individual Americans. I'm talking about those in leadership. I'm talking about those who took away those girls' right. I'm talking about those who exploit. I'm talking about those who continue to move the bar. We have to be better. It is time to be better. It is absolutely time to be better. Spoiler alert, this is a great... <laughs> what is that? Uh, oh, ah, you, you brought the 106th annual... Yeah, that is my speech at the, um, at the uh, uh, annual... What, what is it called? Oh, my God. I'm, 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 uh, you, you, got me, you got me to lose it. The American Ethical Union speech. Thank you very much for posting that, brother, brother E2247. U.S. foreign policy towards strategic interests and exploiting resources has been consistent for a century, if not longer. Don't forget the, the constant slave ships coming from Africa to the Caribbean right into the Louisiana and other places. Anyhow, our special guest today is Tim Danahy. Tim, I love Tim Danahy. He's also one of our great supporters. But not only that, we go back a long time with Coffee Party and all these other organizations where we constantly are there trying to change America, trying to change and do good what we need to do good. Check it out. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Today I have a special guest, a guy that I 
really, really love. We go back a long time. Tim Danahy is the host of the Tim Danahy Show, a thought-provoking program that is currently on hiatus. We can't wait to get some form of that show back. He is a former board of director uh, member at the Coffee Party USA. While both Tim and I share the similar values, our differences usually lends itself to great discussion and enhancements of both our beliefs. Tim is one of my most ardent supporters. Tim Danahy, how are you doing today? I, I am doing well. It's it's a thrill to be on the show, Egberto. Uh, you're a good man, and uh, uh, the country needs more people like you. Well, thank you, my brother. Let me tell you something. This morning, I'm going through my paperwork, and not paperwork, and nobody does paperwork anymore, my stuff online, and bing, my, my email rang. And it starts out this way. Dude, I was playing with wealth tax numbers on the back of scrap paper and wanted to spark some thoughts for you. But first, I want to make two statements. I'm not a credible source or economist. That's a false statement. I presume to get rid of the U.S. tax code in this little note. And I continued reading because I wasn't sure what you're going to talk about. So I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. First of all, will you please read the rest of what you sent me. I think it's prescient. Uh, I, I'm happy to do that, Egberto, uh, but I'm going to do it. It's more like a bullet point presentation, but I said that the U.S. household wealth in 2019 was $96 trillion, and in 2020, it was $130 trillion. Now, there's no test on this. We're not going to be asking, but it went up, you know, uh, increased by $34 trillion in one year. And then I, I also put in Jeff Bezos' net worth, wealth, it was $177 billion in 2019, $189 billion in 2020. It went up $12 billion. Um, and the U.S. federal budget is $4.9 trillion this year, 2021. And my contention was if we tax the wealth at 10% of the increase in wealth at 10% and the ending net wealth, what, a, what Bezos owns at 2%, we would have collected $6.2 trillion in taxes. And we'd have a $1.3 trillion surplus. Um, and, and just to get it down to a, a, a top 10 or 20% level, whatever, I don't know where this uh, economic slot occurs, but suppose someone made $100,000 in 2020 and uh, their, their household wealth was uh, 200,000. You have a house, you have property, maybe a little bit saved away. Um, and it was 170,000 the prior year and you had an increase. What I'm trying to get to in all of this, uh, uh, Egberto, is um, the average household wealth tax of 7,000, which is less than half of what the statutory income tax rate would be. Uh, Bezos, on the other hand, a wealth tax of $5 billion, and he paid nothing. And so the difference, you know, Bezos would still have um, $182 billion instead of $100 He'd still be an incredibly wealthy man. Um, but instead, because we have an income tax, Bezos paid no money in 2020, effectively. And we have a, a trillion-dollar deficit in the United States. 
Um, I won't go any more because, you know, you can put up with about 30 seconds of numbers and then it starts to lose. But I, I'm hoping that, that it presents a concept maybe we should be considering a little bit more actively than, than, than we have. Okay, let me, let me just uh, uh, take, take that one step further. That is what we do on that first year. But what you, what's interesting is what you're talking about is every year you tax the increase in wealth. You didn't, you didn't say you tax uh, all wealth. You said you tax the increase in wealth. Did I understand that correctly? I would tax uh, this discussion. Of course, economists need to uh, um, massage it. I would tax the increase at 10%. Right. Bezos, Bezos gets to keep 90% of it. We'll all get to keep 90% of it. The increase we tax at 10%. But I would tax uh, a tax at 2%. And so uh, Bezos, he has uh, investments, he has percent tax on it every year. And, um, and so 98% of it would be untaxed essentially. Uh, so if we just did, just changed our thinking, got rid of the income tax and, and come up with some sort of wealth tax, it might be more proportional than uh, what we're doing right now and perhaps be simpler and have more equity. You know, you're so right. You know, um, I was a, the, the um, keynote speaker at the American Equity Union uh, a couple of days ago. And I was bringing up the concept about uh, how much money do you need and who really earned the wealth that people have. In other words, Jess Bezos is worth $189 billion, as you spoke about. But where did that really come from? Did Bezos really do the kind of effort and work to do that? And my contention was that it's an economic system that rewards a certain manipulation of capital that allows one to amass that amount of wealth and what you are saying your proposal that you wrote about was the perfect way to uh i call it the perfect um middle ground if you will and you're always a kind of a not necessarily a middle ground guy but somebody that is more that is very pragmatic uh, and understanding that big gradients create problems. And if we want changes, it have to be changes that are palatable before somebody in effect goes crazy. So as it turns out, uh, I was speaking to something about wealth and who really owns it. And I think if we, if we spoke about uh, the numbers as you speak about, and at the same time, we make the case, Americans have been indoctrinated. We've all been indoctrinated into believing that if I create a product I have the infinite ability to capitalize on that product. But you know what, uh, Tim, let's just use you and I as an example. Uh, right now, I have the, this uh, program, Politics Done Right. Suppose this, this program, some big corporation decided that they liked this program. They wouldn't, but suppose they did and said they wanted to take it national. And I was uh, able to sign a huge contract and every year I get several million dollars to do politics done right. And it would be great, right? And I would still be doing good and I'll be awash in cash. But here's the magic. This would not have happened without the investment that Tim Danahy and all the other contributors to politics done right that I've had over the years. So, this great thing happened to politics done right 
this software, this um, media company, who deserve, who deserve the spoils? Would it be only Egberto Willis? Absolutely not. But that is how our economic system work. And um, go ahead. Well, Elizabeth Warren made a point, which is valid. Uh, and, and I will, I'm not quoting her exactly, but she said uh, indirectly to, to, to billionaires. She said, that, uh, we educated your workers. We provide the roads that come to your business. Uh, we, we provide the defense of your assets. You know, uh, we, we, we regulate the safety of, of the power and utilities. You have fresh water coming to your uh, facilities. You have reliable sources of power. Um, we make sure that you are not scammed in the banking system. I'm elaborating on what she said. Right. But, but if you have uh, uh, $100 billion, that takes a lot of protecting, you know, and it, it's not a, your own police force is not going to do it. Um, so, um, there needs to be some sort of give back. And I know that, um, say, Fox News, as an example, might say, well, they are the makers and the takers or the creators and the whatever it might be. Um, that's not really valid. You know that. Um, and, 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 Egberto, I think you and I agree. We would never want to crush the entrepreneurial spirit. I would never, ever want, not want somebody to be paid for an idea that people want. I would never do that. Uh, but um, sometimes people get so caught in their um, activities and, and pursuits of making money, they forget who got them there. And uh, we should never forget that. And so that's the reason, I, you know, we should all contribute a little bit of taxes, you know, no matter how little or how much is made. We're all part of something wonderful. And I think uh, for someone like Bezos or Musk, or uh, in, in this case, it was Buffett uh, in, in the ProPublica article that was often cited. Um, uh, a lot of people got them there. Yes, they had an idea, but a lot of people have toiled. A lot of people have purchased the product. A lot of people have uh, supported their infrastructure. Why can't they support ours? You know, it's interesting because uh, for those people who really have ideas, Tim, uh, and, you know, I, I had a software company, I had a lot of ideas, and from that ideas came over 20 products. And in, in the early days uh, when life was, you know, how, you know, at the time that I wasn't foolish enough to go ahead and do the, the kind of work I'm doing now, uh, the, the, the income from these businesses was greater. But there's one interesting thing that folks don't realize. Those people with great ideas and those who want to continue with great ideas, the thing that, the thing that drives them is not, is not the money that one can get from great ideas. It is the euphoria that comes from creating great ideas. And if you look at Bill Gates in the beginning, uh, Bill Gates very, very early on, it was originally the idea and then when he learned about capitalization, that is when that took over. When he said, no, all these things have worth. And then he became from the ideas guy to the movement guy. And all his ideas thereafter came elsewhere. Same with Bezos. Bezos had the idea of selling books. But after the capitalization thing hit him, it was uh, almost less ideas, building on the ideas of others, 
as you capitalize. A lot of people don't don't quite understand that engineers, people that produce things, you have several companies yourself, people that produce things, there is a certain euphoria in doing these things that don't require you to say, I've got to turn this into, I got to capitalize everything. And if you doubt that, look at communist countries, look at every type of country there is, and I'm not a communist at all. But what I'm saying, look at every country that you can see out there. And individually, people innovate. I mean, uh, you know, they, they individually innovate. Now, capitalization of the innovation occurs best in America, but people innovate all around the world. Well, it, yeah, I, I believe David uh, wrote the, in one of his books um, about even Bill Gates and um, others who are early pioneers, perhaps Bezos was one of them, early pioneers in the software industry. Um, they all got help. Whether it was free computer time at a land grant university like University of Michigan, right. whether it be uh, wherever, you know, they got help. Bill Gates got help from his father. Everybody got a little bit of a boost uh, in the early days of software and computer development. We must not forget uh, what leads us to our success, what started us. And ultimately, I think that leads to more success. Um, to, to have to be able to sustain, encourage, share, and reward that energy leads to more energy. Yes. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy Bezos is making a lot of money, but he's doing it on the backs of a lot of distribution workers who are, um, who are broken. Yes. And the solution is not um, Zen rooms that show company videos of booths show company videos to give a person a 30 second break um th there needs to be a better way you and i both support capitalism but capitalism to an excess uh is as bad as communism to uh, uh, uh an excess um it, no system is without its own seeds of destruction and so um the humanity uh, is lacking in uh, com in capitalism, but I might also uh, offer that um, sometimes we lose sight of the humanity in running a business too. That's the magic. I I I, I think we're missing something. If uh, oh Henry Ford did this, you know everybody says the uh, um. You know, he created the $5 a day wage and he's, they said, oh, that's fantastic, you know, and he's really going to pay his people. Well, the problem was he had created a work atmosphere that had gone from um, the uh, foreman apprentice structure where it was a team of people making cars and, and people were engaged. They were learning. They would learn about the drivetrain. They would learn about the finish, whatever. And it was an engaged team that was producing cars. But then he... he uh, bought into this Frederick Taylor model, you know, a scientific production. Right. And so what, what happened is that everybody got segmented. Everybody had to do the same thing, same bolt turn, same torque, that kind of thing. And um, so he was losing people right and left. And he, so he said, I'm going to pay him $5 a day. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, that's how he retained people. But it became a soulless thing. And the irony of that is production still remained about a car a minute. And, uh, you know, production really didn't increase 
but um, but it it's evident that capitalism had to buy its way out, but the quality of life was not Absolutely. So, well, Tim, um, the question I ask everybody at the end of an interview, and it goes as follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, I would like you to ask me why, why you're not national, Egberto. I mean, a quality man like you with, uh, that has an open forum that encourages uh, 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 diversity of thought. Uh, 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 you share these ideas. Um, uh, it's a disservice that you are not a national uh, uh, broadcaster. That would be the question that you should ask me. And, and what can I do to help you? Say, Tim, what can you do to help me become a national guy? I can tell you, I can extol your praises and uh, say, uh, if ever a man deserved it, it would be you. You are so kind. And let me just say one thing, grassroots, I am happy to keep moving one step at a time and growing slowly. Gross, slow growth is a good thing. Uh, and with people like you and many others, uh, you know, we'll continue our slow growth to really start changing minds and really chart, start building minds. So look, Tim, I thank you so kindly for being on Politics Done Right. And you keep doing what you're doing because, you, you know, you keep sending me stuff like this because I tell you what, you're always, as usual, thought-provoking. You have a wonderful day and thank you for having been on Politics Done Right. It's an honor, Egberto. You too. Love that guy. We go back some time with the coffee party and other places. And I, who else I see here? Vince Lamb, another brother from the coffee party network uh, board of directors. Hey, Vince, how you doing, my brother? How you doing, my brother? Uh, Deborah John, okay, when is Congress going to put up or stop Trump? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, let me. I, th I saw a, a thought provoking thing from Bruce Pollard. Bruce, welcome aboard. Vince Lamb, welcome aboard. Uh, Ken Mas está aquí para ver, para ver, para Deborah Johns. Welcome aboard. I think I saluted E2247. Uh, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's think for a second here. Bruce says, um, if I am not, I think that you meant not, if I'm not anti-racist, but don't practice careful anti-racist, does that make me vulnerable to accidental or hidden agenda racism? Case in point, the NFL. Um, I'm going to say something that I think people... Um, I'm a, I, I don't believe in race, right? I know for a fact that race is a social construct. But unfortunately, I live in the world. And the world has taken up this thing falsely called race that's used, that, uh, that our economic system needs, right? The only reason we have race is because of capitalism and other economic systems that require some sort of a, a discernible difference in, in people. In this case, they use pigmentation. Some, uh, suppose they decided to use size. I don't know. They could have used many of things. But I know for a fact that I am a human being with a hell of a lot of melanin. Bruce is my brother, white guy. No melanin or very little melanin. But Bruce and I are human brothers. Okay? Um, why did I start that way? Like, what the hell are you trying to say, Egberto? I wish I could get, we have to be concerned about race and talk about it the way it's used in our culture. But I want to reach to the point where if people are honest within themselves, 
they are not scared of screwing up by saying things that uh, that are stupid. Like I've said things that have been stupid about women and stupid about gays and all that kind of stuff. I want us to be able to just talk and not feel like, oh my God, did you know that Bruce said this stuff about black people and Bruce is a damn racist? No, I don't want to go there. Let me tell you where I want to go. Uh, and it's like I was telling some of the folks in the speech that I gave recently. Here's where I want to go. I want to reach the point where assuming you have a good heart, that you can see the things that Bruce brought up a good point, the NFL. The NFL, that was a racist action with regards to saying, uh, with black players, we'll assume their cognition from a baseline was less than that of a white player. That was racist. That was bell curve type racism based in nothing but racist belief followed by white supremacist teachings. Now, that many people believe that is one thing. But after they are taught that that is completely wrong, if they still choose to believe that, then you bring down the hammer on those people. But for somebody who says something stupid, like I've said something stupid about homosexuality or about sexism or whatever, when I learn the truth, I put my tail between my legs, beg for forgiveness, and move on. That is where I want us to get. Now, when we talk about systemic racism, racism that's built within the system, example, when you had redlining, that created racism back in the days when redlining was legal, but that is racism that continues today, not because there's redlining, but the outcomes because of the redlining mean a permanent underclass unless the damage has been mitigated. Right? In other words, all the people who lived in red line areas, the accumulation of wealth that Bruce's forefathers, Bruce's mother lived in an area that wasn't redlined, and let's say John, and let's say uh, let's see somebody that I know in my in my audience that is discernible, discernibly black. Uh, let's see, let's see, and uh, I'm just going to make an assumption. I think Paul Fleming is black. Okay, Paul Fleming lived in a neighborhood, and Bruce lived in another neighborhood. Paul Fleming's neighborhood is redlined and Bruce isn't. Bruce is going to have asset appreciation much better than Fleming. Fleming, when he leaves his home to his kids, they're going to have less than Bruce when he leaves his homes to his kids. And that is going to snowball on each other. And that has, that has a systemic reach in our society. So then you see, oh, black people have a lot less wealth than white people. And people say, oh, well, that's just because of who they are. And, you know, they, are, they, they, don't, they don't make as much air. No, 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 no. The cause of that was systemic. And we can also go with employment. When I was going for jobs, I didn't get jobs specifically because I didn't fit the profile. And I'm, writing a, I'm putting this in my book. I'm, putting, I'm writing another book that tells you this one guy the amount of racial tribulation I've gone through in this country and kept a smile on. But I remember one of the first jobs that I got, the woman who would be my boss, she loved me. Great white woman, loved me. She thought I would do well at that job. And she, above the VP, she still went ahead and said, no, I want this guy hired. And 
she hired me. But before she hired me, the VP had to give me a little talking. And the VP takes me into his office and he says, Egberto, I don't know why she likes you, but she does. And she wants you on her team. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't perform in six months, you're out of here. And I don't want to hear a damn thing about affirmative action. It's just me and this guy in the office. And that's what he tells me. I'm a 22-year-old kid out of college. And that's the story that I heard. The job was done. The six-month project was done in two months. And my boss walked into the, my cubicle and said, forget about it, what he's saying. You, 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 are, uh, you are not on probation any longer. I mean, um, but I grew up with parents who taught me that absolutely I was good at every, I was just as good as everybody else. But also they taught me I was no better than anybody else. We got that ingrained in our heads, right? So coming over here and feeling all those pushbacks didn't do much to me. But what that would do to many a people is systemic. Lawrence has a very good thing, price of insurance, regardless of location. Thank you, brother. That's a very good point. Or going to buy a car where because of what you look like, your interest rate is higher, systemic. Or based on the zip code that you live in, what the price of your car insurance is going to be. Systemic. Because if I am paying for all these things a higher price, it means I have less to grow. Egberto, if you can do a job in two months that's stated for six months, you've done better than most. Well, I mean, look, you know, fear has a way of doing it. <laughs> Michael Rudnan. It was software development and the name of the product, well, I can't... I'm not going to tell the name of the product because they could tie the name of the product back to the company and then the company back to the persons, and I don't really want to do that right now. Although I think by now that VP may be dead, but here's the funny thing about it. It's amazing what fear would do. Fear of losing your job makes you work that much harder. <laughs> okay, let's see. Daryl Angel, thinking that skin pigmentation makes another person inferior or superior is a level of ignorance that I can't wrap my head around. That being said, isn't it natural to be more comfortable in, in groups that look, talk, act alike? You know, that is true. You would think that is true, right? But here's a funny thing, and I want all of you guys to try this. Get into some organization, a, 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 a different organization, and you will find that, what is the word that I want to use? I've gone into organizations where I was the, out, I, well, most of the time I'm the outlier, but this, I was really the outlier. And what happened is I was so comfortable in that, that outlier and stuff that when, when I reached another organization, that did take some adjustment to get to. So, uh, so it is not that folks look different than you are or that they talk different than you do, but that it's whether you are familiar with them. As an example, I am a Panamanian who had a strong Panamanian accent, and my, my wife is an American with an with a, with American accent, and 
I have a daughter. Wouldn't you know that unless you remind my daughter, she doesn't realize that my wife and myself speak differently. And she did just the other day when one of her friends said, oh, I need to do the, the posse. I'm doing it right now. Oh, uh, uh, she said, um, Egberto, I mean, she said, Dad, uh, you know, I forget that you have an accent. I didn't remember it until her friend told her something about me having an accent. And then that is when she remembered, oh, yeah, Dad, you have an accent. So, no, it's more familiarity than physical intonation or these different kind of differences. I'm running over time, and I didn't even ask you guys to support Politics Done Right. So let me do it right now. Folks, please, if you are on YouTube, please click the Join button. I need a 1,000, and I'm giving myself quite a, a, a few months, a year or so, to reach a 1,000 uh, a, a thousand YouTube subscriber mem- paid subscriber members and a thousand Patreon members. I'm at 127 in in uh, in 127 in Patreon, and I think 275 on YouTube. I need to get to a thousand. So if you are on YouTube right now, please go ahead and click the join button. And become a subscriber, a member of the PDR Posse, run by Bridge MCP. And if you are not on YouTube right now, uh, please go ahead and remember you can do so. You can still join our PDR Posse on YouTube by going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. And by the way, every Saturday, I think at 10 o'clock Central now, is when we're going to have our our uh, Ask Egberto Anything You Want to Ask Zoom meeting. Because I'm tying that into my Substack newsletter at Substack. So subscribers to my Substack newsletter will be joining our PDR Posse members, I think, for the uh, for the thing. So that, I'm just going to be starting that, uh, starting, uh, I think it's the first week in July, first Saturday in July. Uh, so please go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Likewise, if you want to become a patron, and we need patrons too, folks, politicsandright.com slash Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Michael Rodden said, whenever I watch this show at my friends' places, they often mention your accent within the first few minutes of watching the show. Familiarity? Yeah. I like the accent and forget about it. Focus on what you're actually saying. There you go, my brother. And that's what happens. It's a human thing that happens. Anyway, folks, you can support us at politicsandright.com slash patron. As well, if you want to provide us additional support, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Politicsandright.com slash PayPal. And of course, you can buy our T-shirts and our hoodies and our face masks and all of that at our store. Or even at YouTube as well. You see that racket YouTube? Politicsandright.com slash store. Politicsandright.com slash store. And you can get all of our books at politicsdoneright.com slash books, politicsdoneright.com slash books. We are coming out close to the time right now, but I want to at least show you guys the people who you have our mugs. Those are the people with our mugs that you see right there. Great folk. Thank you, Bridge MCP, Roberto Lewis, Norman Reynolds, and many others uh, on, on there with, with the... Cups, if you want to get the cups, I have a direct link for the cups somewhere. Hey, where is my link to the cups? Where are my links to the cup? And you know what? I can't find my links to the cup. 
Okay, I can't find my links to the cup. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick it up and give you a link for the cup because I want you guys to get the cup too. Anyhow, here is the link for the cup. There's the link for the cup. Anyhow, folks, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. Thank you so kindly for being here. I know you could be anywhere. And it seems like the coat wins. So it looks like I'm going to be wearing the coat over my T-shirt from now. I guess it makes me look a, more, a little bit more decent and professional. Somebody told me today, I think it was my wife, said, oh, he looks so professional with the suit on. I mean, with the coat on. So I guess I'll put it on. You guys win. You guys win. This is Egberto Willis. And politics done right. You know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. <laughs>